First Press, God is inviting you into his story. He's inviting you into a story, that the story of redemption that started in the garden and it ends in the new heavens and the new earth. And you and I, God is saying, can play a role in that if we would just take this gospel message and run with it. He's inviting us into something much bigger than you and I could ever fathom. Welcome to First and Foremost, a weekly broadcast of First Presbyterian Church in the heart of downtown Greenville. Senior Pastor Richard Gibbons invites you to join us as we study God's Word together and discover what is first and foremost in our lives. the blind man and the lame man I was lost living in sin then I opened up my heart one day I let the Savior in
Father God, we know that your very word holds all things together, that we are here because of you and for you, Lord. So I pray that now as we dive into your word, that as we talk about life and how the gospel impacts every minute detail of it, Lord, that you would be glorified, that we would celebrate you, and that hopefully, God, your Holy Spirit will stir us to missions. Uh, God, in this time, give me strength um, and help nothing I say be from me, something that I concocted in my own mind, God, but um, be words from you, Lord. In Christ's name I pray, amen. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is where we're going to be spending the bulk of our time today. I'll reference a few other passages, uh, but you will not have to turn there. I'll go easy on you today. Um, <clears throat> if I could pull back the curtain of my life a little bit, if I could just be honest with you all, and I'm trusting this is a judgment-free zone, um, my wife and I follow a, a, a decent routine on weeknights. Now, on weekends, it's a bit different, but on weeknights, we, we just have a little thing we like to do. Um, my wife and I will both get home from work, and then we will put on our walking shoes, and we will go on a nice little walk around town, uh, around all the little neighborhoods that are around where we live. Uh, and that's a way for us to decompress. It's a way for us to catch up with each other, to talk about where we're struggling, where things are going really well, uh, what, what God's doing in our life, what we hope for our life in the future. It's just a good time. Uh, and then after that, we'll get home, and we will then cook dinner. Subsequently, what you do after you cook dinner is you eat dinner, and so we eat dinner, and then after that we do our pre-bed routine, so we'll brush our teeth and whatever you have to do to get into bed, and then we find ourselves in bed, and here's where I don't want you to judge me, I'm just being open here. Um, at that point, we then grab the remote and turn the television on. Now, I know, you know, whatever you might think, bad habit, good habit, I'm just telling you what we do. All right, so we turn the TV on. We have a TV in our bedroom. It's shameful, I know. Uh, but we watch two or three television shows. And, and for us, it's a way of just turning our minds off. It's a way of kind of ending the day off, relaxing, decompressing a little bit. And I used to, in my home, have some say in what was actually being played on the television. My wife is now 35 weeks pregnant, and I find that that some percentage has dwindled down to zero. Um, I used to celebrate the joys of a democratic system in the home, and now I live under a dictatorship. So if my eyelids start blinking Morse code messages to you, help me. All right, be, be part of the solution, not the problem. Uh, no, but that's just not a hill I'm willing to die on. We don't have that fight. And so my wife gets to choose what's on television. And lately, as God's way of punishing me, uh, it seems that Netflix has uploaded several seasons of HGTV television shows. Any HGTV watchers in the room? All right. As many of you share in my plight, you understand that that is a home improvement network. So everything's home improved now. Now, now when you live with a woman who's 35 weeks pregnant, it means that I'm the one who has to do the home improvement. And in full disclosure, I'm not qualified for home improvement. And these shows will deceive you because they make everything seem so easy. Oh, you can swing a hammer? Well, in three steps, you'll have granite countertops. <laughs> and I'm here to tell you, that's not true. I, I was trying to refinish a dresser, and then I looked, and my, my living room was on fire. I don't know how that happened, <laughs> but I feel like I got the old bait and switch. And so um, HGTV shows can be deceptive, but one thing that my wife has really gotten into is this idea of repurposing. 
that you take something, an item, some kind of materials, maybe you found it on the roadside, uh, and they've served their purpose, and now they're outdated, they're either useless or they're trash or whatever, and you modify them in such a way, you put them together in such a way that they serve a new purpose. That this thing that, is, that was useless, that was outdated, whatever it may be, is now utilized for a new purpose. And so whether that be taking mason jars and making them into glasses or light covers or screw holders or whatever it is, or taking um, wooden ladders and turning them into bookshelves, or taking pallets and making furniture out of that repurposed wood, uh, repurposing is very trendy nowadays, but it's nothing new. It has been around for as long as people have had stuff, right? People have been repurposing things for quite a while. In fact, I want to make the argument that God himself is in the business of repurposing. That God himself takes people who are marred, who are, for whatever life situation or whatever choices they've made, are kind of cast by the wayside, who have speckled pasts, maybe even speckled presents, and he repurposes them for his purposes and his glory. If you have your Bible, 2 Corinthians 5.17 is where we're going to start out in. Therefore, and whenever you see a therefore, you find out what it's there for. So if you want to know, go back after this afternoon and read the rest of chapter 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. Now, I'm just going to stop right there. So last Sunday, across five services, three traditional, two contemporary, over 3,000 people packed into this church. And from the pastor's perspective, you guys looked good. I mean, there were seersucker suits amongst you. We could look out, and there was just an ocean of pastel colors. And we got to catch up with some friends that we hadn't seen since Christmas, and we celebrated <laughs> Easter. Because in our church, we love Easter. It is what makes our faith different than any other world religion. Every other world religion is do, do, do. The resurrection of Christ says, done. That Jesus stepped down out of eternity and he put on human flesh and he took on a human nature. He was one person, 100% God, 100% man, and he lived a perfect life for 33 years. I can't go 33 minutes without sinning. And Jesus perfectly obeyed the laws of the covenant. He never cussed at somebody when they cut him off in his chariot. He never had ill thoughts towards his sisters or brothers. Jesus lived the perfect life. And through the predetermined plan of God in the hands of wicked men, Christ was arrested. He was tried seven times. Most of those, many of those were illegal he was beaten with what's called the cat of nine tails. The beard was ripped out of his face. They put a crown of thorns on our king. And they drove railroad-sized spikes through his wrists, and they nailed him to a Roman cross on the hill of the skull. And then, because I guess he wasn't passing fast enough, they drove a spear up under his ribcage, and it pierced his heart. And after about six hours on a Friday afternoon, Christ cries out, It 
is finished. Words that change the course of history. That at the cross, the wrath of God was absorbed by the perfect sacrifice. Christ, who earned no wrath, absorbed all of God's wrath. The just and right punishment that we deserved, he took upon himself. And at the cross of Christ, the check was deposited. And Christ died. No matter what CNN or the History Channel wants to tell you about, he swooned on the cross and he just kind of passed out for a little while. No, Christ died. And they laid him in the grave and for three days, all of creation held its breath. Is this man everything he said he was? What's, what's going to happen next? And spoiler alert, just in case you haven't finished the book, on the third day he rose. He conquered death, and his resurrection guarantees our resurrection. That God has reconciled man to himself by the sacrifice of his son. Every bit of hostility, every bit of wrath towards you was absorbed by Jesus Christ. Minister, this is reconciliation. God, all of this is from God, as Peter points out. It has been my experience, though, that for the vast majority of evangelical believers, the resurrection is where the story stops for us. That, that we hear about the resurrection, that Christ has saved us from our sins, that we're reconciled to God, and then we close our Bible and we go, Well, that's just fantastic. He's risen indeed. And then we go about our daily lives and we don't let it affect us. And we say, well, we have our fire insurance. We're not going to go to hell, so that's good news. And then we just live as if we're unaffected by this gospel. In fact, Paul is addressing the church at Corinth about this. Because the church at Corinth stopped at the resurrection of Jesus, so they got involved in all of the sinful stuff. People were getting drunk off of communion wine. And that's just shameful. And people were oppressing the poor and the powerless. And then there were some other sins that I'm not going to mention because I don't want your kid to ask you awkward questions on the way home. You can thank me for that later. But because they stopped at the resurrection... And when you stop at the resurrection, it produces within us a me-focused salvation. That Christ came to me, he reconciled me, and so now I can do whatever I want because I'm forgiven. So it's our license to sin. The problem with that is the Bible. Because Christ does not stop at the resurrection at the conclusion of the Passion Narratives, the Ascension. And what does he say in Matthew chapter 27? In light of all these things, go. Go into the nations. Paul says it this way in verse 18. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Now listen to this. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. That if you are in Christ in this room, God has repurposed your life. 
No matter what your backstory is, no matter where you're from, what you struggle with, no matter what you thought your purpose was, God has a new purpose for you, and he will use you, church. Your new purpose is to take the gospel message to others, to push back the darkness because you are now bearers of light. Two years ago, this kind of viral trend broke out, and it was a a pay-it-forward type idea. So what would happen, and this surrounded primarily Starbucks, but really anywhere that a drive-through line existed, this would occur. And so what would happen is in the morning, you'd pull up to Starbucks, because you know, Lord knows you can't start your day without some Starbucks. It's the American way, baby. And you'd order your mocha frappuccino. The barista would say, that's $14.79, we'll see you at the first window. And so you'd pull around, don't act like that's not true. And so you'd pull around, and when you get to the window, the barista would hand you your very small $14 drink, and they would say, there's no charge. It's been paid for. And what would occur is the person in front of you would pay for your drink by nothing you did. You didn't ask them. You didn't convince them. They didn't think, oh, what was that person, so I'll pay for them. By their grace, they canceled out your debt by paying for you. And because you were a recipient of grace, the next step was what? To, unless you're just a complete jerk and a cheapskate, to pay for the next person behind you. That because you received grace, you now give grace. If you're a believer in here, grace was never meant to stop with you. Grace is not static. It does not terminate in your life. You're meant to be a vessel. You were meant to be a conduit through which grace extends and flows to other people, to Greenville, to Greer, to Anderson, to Spartanburg, all the way on up to North Carolina, and you can just keep going. Grace was meant to flow through you. And God does not call people from sin only. He calls people from sin, and He calls people to missions to the ministry of reconciliation. God has entrusted us with this. It's our turn to run with it. The baton has been passed. There is no example in the Bible where God calls somebody just to sit around and live their life however they want to. In the book of Genesis, God calls a man named Abram. And he says to him in Genesis chapter 12, Abram, I am blessing you so that through you all the families of the earth will be blessed. I am blessing you so that blessings, so that grace will flow through you. This blessing is not meant for you. You're just the conduit. You know, and we say, well, Charlie, of course. Of course God can use Abraham. He's the patriarch of our faith. It's Abraham. Come on, God can't use me like he uses Abraham. And you say, I'm too old, I'm too young, I'm too smart, I'm too dumb. Uh, I, I don't do well when people ask me questions on the spot. I don't want to feel awkward. I get sweaty. My, my palms get clammy. I don't want to do that. So let's just talk about Abraham for a second. The Bible has a way of telling us exactly how old Abraham was when God uses him. The phrase the Bible uses is that Abraham was as good as dead. Now, I don't know how old you have to be. But when God himself, who is eternal, goes, whoo, any minute now. 
I mean, when God's like, I'm about to pull this card, you know you're old. Okay? He was old. And not only that, he just kind of made some foolish decisions sometimes. I'm not saying he was a fool, but some of his decisions seem to indicate that. Twice in Genesis, twice, Abraham is walking through a city, and apparently he's with his wife named Sarah, and apparently she's a pretty good-looking lady. All right, And the king of both of those cities decides, I want to take Sarah into my harem. If you don't know what a harem is, do not Google it. Okay, Ask Brian. He would love to talk to you about that. All right, He's right here on the front row. Wants to take Sarah. <laughs> That's out of control. Uh, wants to take Sarah into his harem. And Abraham concocts a plan. This is a plan that only a man can come up with, because here's the plan. Let's tell him you're my sister. That's it. That's the plan. There's no escape strategy. That's what blows my mind. There's no like, and then I'll have my grappling hook, and I'll scale the wall and break you out. No, it's just, see ya, it's been, been a good run. And so that's the plan. Gentlemen in the room, this is free. Look right at me right here. If you are married, if you're engaged, or if you're with a woman and you plan on wifing her, take this advice. If you are ever, ever faced with an ultimatum and the two choices are give your woman away or die, choose death. <laughs> it would just be easier on you. <laughs> Because here's what you just did. Every fight from that moment on, you've lost. <laughs> Baby, why didn't you get the oil changed? I thought we said that you were going to do that. Oh, you remember that time you gave me away to a king and said I was your sister because you're too much of a coward? Good point. I'll do it tomorrow. You just do whatever you want to do. You're, you win, baby. You lost, man. Choose death. <laughs> Abraham was a screw-up. And we could do that with any person in the Bible. Peter. <laughs> the one time Peter gets things right is at Caesarea Philippi when Jesus says, who do the people say I am? And he responds, you're the son of God. Six verses later, literally count them, six verses later, Jesus calls him Satan. All right, that's a pretty drastic turn of events. Paul went about killing Christians and yet God uses these men and women to change the course of history. There is no excuse. God can use you. All of you are here today with a spiritual lineage. Somebody came to you. You, you might have been raised in the church. For as long as you can remember, you've been coming to First Pres. Maybe your first words were, I accept Jesus into my heart. Uh, maybe, maybe that was you as a baby. And this is just all you've ever known. But somebody preached the gospel to you. Or maybe you're like me, you didn't grow up in the church. And maybe a youth minister or a pastor or a friend or coworker came alongside of you and they shared the gospel with you. Grace was extended to you. Now it's our turn. It's our turn to take the gospel to our workplaces, to our hobbies, to where we do life, and maybe even for some of us, to our homes. I've got to close up, but I think if most of us were honest, I think we'd admit that we're a little bored with life. And let me explain that. I think all of us in this room had this plan. We're going to go to college. We're going to find a spouse. We're going to find a spouse, then we're going to graduate and start our career. 
we're going to work hard and get enough money to buy the house that we want in the right area, and we're going to get a golden retriever and a picket fence and a brand new Suburban, because that's the American dream. And we thought that was going to bring us lasting joy and depth of life and vitality. And I'm not here saying any of those things are bad, but I think when the TV's off at night and everybody else is asleep and we're laying on our bed, there's this little voice, there's a little gnawing inside of us that says, we were meant for a lot more than this. There's a reason teenagers are addicted to video games. There's a reason grown men will pick up a new hobby and then spend 10 grand within two weeks on the best gear. There's a reason we love movies like Braveheart and Interstellar and The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. It's because we want to be a part of something bigger than us. We want to be a part of something that lasts longer than our, what, 80, 90 years here, if the Lord is willing. First Press, God is inviting you into his story. He's inviting you into a story, that, the story of redemption that started in the garden and it ends in the new heavens and the new earth. And you and I, God is saying, can play a role in that if we would just take this gospel message and run with it. He's inviting us into something much bigger than you and I could ever fathom. So how do, we, how do we do that? My wife is very pregnant, like 35 weeks. She's like, she's like 68% belly at this point. Um, it's our daughter, it's our first. Um, we're going to name her Caroline Elizabeth. And in the backyard of my parents' house is this really nice pool. I'm very jealous of it, um, sinfully jealous. And it's one of those saltwater pools where you can hypothetically open your eyes in. I've never done that because I'm pretty sure my nephew goes to the bathroom in it and I don't want pink eye. Um, <laughs> So I don't, do not open your eyes underwater. And uh, I, I know that not this summer, but maybe in the next summer or two, uh, my little daughter, little Carolina, is going to be standing on the edge of that pool, and she's going to be in a little swimsuit and have her floaties on, and she's going to be scared to death. And I'm going to be in the pool waist deep with my arms out going, just jump. I'm here. I'm not going to let anything happen to you. Trust me, just take the leap. And she's going to see all the other kids playing in the pool and having just a great time. But she'll never know the joys of swimming until she jumps. This morning, God is inviting you to jump, to jump into his story, to jump into a role that is much bigger than you or I can fathom, and we get to be bit players in that. But like my daughter, I, I can't make you jump. That's for you to decide. Let's pray. Father, we want to jump. I don't think anyone in this room would say, no, we're, we're content. We don't want to do God's work. But God, we're so comfortable. And our comfort, I mean, we have a death grip on comfort, Lord. And Father, help us to loosen our grip. Maybe it's one finger at a time, or maybe we just let go completely and dive in, Lord but help us to take this message of reconciliation to others. It's in your son's holy name I pray. Amen. Have you missed a Sunday? Go to our website to watch previous broadcasts, download a podcast, or purchase a CD or DVD. And don't forget to connect with First Pres by liking us on Facebook and Twitter, signing up to receive emails, or requesting prayer online. 
Each day, 6,200 children die from hunger. But there's hope thanks to Feed My Starving Children and volunteers like you. Help us turn hunger into hope on April 24th and 25th at First Presbyterian's Grains of Grace Mobile Pack event. Our goal is to pack 275,000 life-saving meals for hungry children around the world. Sign up today or donate at firstpresgreenville.org. 